Radio. This is your host, Trevor Kuritz, and as always, Steve Smee is joining me. Yeah, we have an MIT research scientist on, so we know she's going to be very smart. How are you doing out there? I'm doing great. Right. So introduce, introduce yourself for okay, us. Okay, yes, I'm Stephanie Senef. I'm from MIT. I'm a senior research scientist there, and I've been at MIT for my entire research career. I really love the place, so it's been very good to me, and I've been, enjoyed the work, and very excited, very stimulating. It's definitely a lot warmer than Winnipeg, so I will give you that. Yeah, well, in Hawaii, it's definitely warmer, which is where I am now, so it's beautiful. Yeah, Boston's pretty cold right now, but probably not nearly as cold as Winnipeg. So, Dr. Stephanie, we had on Zach Bush last week. Yes. We talked about glyphosate a little bit, and I wanted to reach out to you because, like you, I've become fascinated with this molecule, and fascinated in not a good way. I'm, I'm terrified at, at what this molecule is doing to us, is doing to the environment. So you being an expert on this topic, I wanted to get you on. Just, just let's, let's, let's backtrack a bit. Explain to us exactly what is glyphosate and why is this a concern to the people listening to this podcast? Yeah, glyphosate is the active ingredient in the pervasive herbicide Roundup. And people probably know what Roundup is, but most people haven't heard of glyphosate. Uh, slowly people are waking up. Um, Roundup is considered to be a wonderful herbicide because it's completely non-toxic to humans. It kills all plants except for those that have been engineered through GMO technology to resist it. And um, therefore, it's very, very popular to, to manage weeds in growing crops. And several crops have been mod modified through genetic insertion of bacterial genes so that they are, uh, are protected from glyphosate. Um, and this is what allows them to use the glyphosate indiscriminately, just spray it from the airplane over the crop and not worry about exposing the crop because the crop has been um, empowered with this gene that allows it to uh, grow anyway, even though glyphosate normally would kill it. I believe that's called Roundup Ready Crops. Is that correct? It is. That is exactly right. And people have probably heard of Roundup Ready Crops. And those are uh, many of the core crops of the processed food industry, like soy and corn, canola, which produces canola oil, and um, beets, which is sugar, sugar beets, um, and alfalfa and tobacco. Those are some of the GMO Roundup Ready crops. Tobacco means that Roundup is probably, glyphosate probably contaminates cigarettes because of that, I suspect. Okay. So that's, that's basically the, the background of what glyphosate is. Yes. And let's talk about how horrible it is for, uh, for us and for the environment. Give us, right. That, yeah, I mean, go ahead. You can approach that question anyway, but let's, let's start about why is this toxic for us as humans consuming this herbicide? Why is what? Why is glyphosate toxic for us as humans? Right. Well, that is the big question. And um, my belief at this point is that it is the most uh, devastating chemical in our environment today, in part because it's so pervasive. It's been shown to be present in food. It's in high levels. For example, lentils and chickpeas that are grown in Canada are sprayed with glyphosate right before the harvest. They're not GMO but they are sprayed as a desiccant right before harvest. So is wheat and so is sugarcane. All of these foods are gonna be contaminated with glyphosate. There's very high levels were found by your government, the Canadian government, in lentils, chickpeas, and garbanzo beans, um, which is very concerning. 
Uh, I have a friend from, in, from Canada, uh, Tony Mitra, who's a, an activist. He's been very active in campaigning for the Canadian government to test foods for glyphosate. And I have to say, your government has done much better than the U.S. government in that respect, because due to Tony's persistent pressure, Canada finally tested over 8,000 foods for glyphosate, both Canadian foods and imports from other countries. And Tony Mitra published a book called Poison Foods of North America as a consequence of their data, which they gave to him. So the, the book has a lot of that data, and it's very useful for letting you know which foods are most contaminated, therefore the ones you either need to eat those organic or you need to avoid them. That's a really important thing to become so, aware of. So why is it that for some reason in the United States, we like killing each other so much with our food? Um, I wish it, I knew. <laughs> is, it, is it economic? Is it ignorance? Is it a combination? There's got to be a reason for that. How come Canada doesn't kill their people, but we like killing our people? Well, Canada does too. Canada simply found out that it's there. They haven't yet acted on it. So Canada and the United States actually had the highest levels from the Canadian tests. And they tested Mexican imports, European imports. All of those came out much lower on average than U.S. and Canada. We, we Kingpin, both of us, both countries have extremely high levels of glyphosate in our food compared to other countries that were imported foods from other countries in Canada. So uh, we're kind of the worst offenders, both of us, but Canada has the distinction that they actually tested, whereas the U.S. doesn't even bother to test. Uh, both governments pers- uh, believe, I think the people in the governments believe the, um, the dogma that's being uh, delivered by the chemical industry that says glyphosate is harmless to humans and therefore they don't care if it's in the food. It's like no big deal. It's not hurting us. But the fact is that when you look at correlations between Diseases. First of all, many, many diseases are going up dramatically, certainly in the United States, and I believe also in Canada. Um, autism is a big one. That's the one that I was most concerned about uh, going up exponentially over the past two decades, in, exactly in step with the exponential rise in the use of glyphosate on core crops. So, you know, correlation doesn't always mean causation, but when you look for a potential cause, the first thing you want to see is correlation. You could say maybe lead is causing autism, but lead's not going up because we took lead out of the gasoline. It should be the other direction. So we need to look at things that are going up exactly in step with glyphosate in order to um, determine whether um, glyphosate might be a potential candidate to cause these problems. And it's not just autism, but Alzheimer's is also going up dramatically exactly in step with glyphosate. And so are many cancers such as um, bladder cancer, uh, uh, thyroid cancer, um, pancreatic cancer. These cancers are all going up dramatically. Uh, and non Hodgkin's lymphoma has been linked to glyphosate. There's a lawsuit that, I don't know if you heard about the lawsuit in California, Dwayne Johnson, who uh, claimed that uh, glyphosate caused his non Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was the only chemical he had worked with. And um, he won that lawsuit and he got originally a $389 million uh, reward, which was later reduced by the judge. It was a, a jury reward of $389 million that was later reduced to $78 million, but the, but the verdict still held. And this is something that has Monsanto. And of course, Bayer now owns Monsanto. Bayer is probably quite worried about the fact that uh, he won that lawsuit because there are 8,000 people behind him who are claiming that glyphosate caused their non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The so rock. there's definitely concern about cancer. Yeah, about- Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, correct? Dwayne Johnson was a uh, schoolyard. He, he, he applied glyphosate to schoolyards to control weeds, which is also very disturbing because, of course, oh, okay. schoolyards means children. 
are being exposed. I thought you meant The Rock, the wrestler, movie star, The Rock. Oh, no. Is there another Dwayne Johnson called The Rock? No, that's yeah, not yeah. who it is. He's a doctor in California. <laughs> that's that pretty cute. That would make cute. sense, though, because he is, he is very, he lives in California himself. So that would. That would oh, make that sense. is interesting. <laughs> I thought, let's talk about, okay. So, so this guy basically, he got cancer, so he sued and he yes. won a huge lawsuit. So what's. Is that going to scare them? Into Part of it was punitive damages, too, because stuff came out in that lawsuit that revealed, of course, just like the tobacco industry, um, they're doing shenanigans behind your back, you know, and, and uh, mis- disinformation and uh, maneuvering to get um, experts to publish papers that the Monsanto folks wrote, stuff like this. You know, they pay people money to, be, uh, to agree to be the author on a paper that they put together that argues that glyphosate's great and there's no problem, this kind of thing, you know, these kinds of activities that are going on in order to try to protect the public from the knowledge that glyphosate is toxic. Um, this is what is happening, I think. One question I have for you, Dr. Sinef, is that there's no doubt autism is going up at exceptionally rates. Like it's, it's getting terrifying at how fast this disease is becoming more and more prevalent. A lot of people are also speculating vaccines are causing yes. that. What are your yes. thoughts on that? Do you think it's maybe a combination of glyphosate and vaccines? Do you think it's primarily glyphosate? What, what are your thoughts on that topic? I think it's a combination of glyphosate and vaccines. And I think I don't, you know, I can't say if there were no glyphosate, would the autism association with vaccines go away or not? I don't know because the vaccines obviously have... Uh, dangerous chemicals in them as well. I have written um, several papers on vaccines and autism, and it certainly was where I started. I started researching autism probably 10 or 12 years ago, seriously, and I first looked at vaccines, and I certainly found some connections, particularly with the MMR vaccine, and that's the one that, uh, I don't know if you know about Andy Wakefield, the story about Andy Wakefield. Um, so he was a, he, he's a, uh, uh, a doctor, an MD, from the UK, his story is very, very interesting because he published a paper in 1998 together with a bunch of colleagues um, claiming that um, MMR, he believed that MMR could be causing autism through a mechanism that involved the gut, you know, gut gut dysbiosis, what they call it. So disruption of the gut microbes, um, uh, measles virus infection in the gut getting into the brain because of leaky barriers, the measles virus infecting the brain and then uh, causing immune reaction in the brain uh, to cause autism. It was a a theory that he had, and had to do with uh, uh, problems with the gut. Um, And and so today, in fact, many, many papers are showing up uh, linking autism to gut problems. I'd imagine you may have heard of that. I don't know how how informed you are about autism, but linking autism to gut problems. And um, glyphosate, uh, of course, hits the gut because that's, you eat the food, it goes to the gut first. And the gut is a, a big, big issue. And part of that is because the, the, the argument for why glyphosate is safe is that it affects a particular enzyme that the plants have that human cells don't have. And because we don't have that enzyme, we're completely safe. It's a great story. But unfortunately, we have gut microbes that do have that enzyme, and they use that enzyme to produce extremely important molecules that we need to, to be healthy, uh, that our cells can't make because they don't have that enzyme. Does that make sense? If your your understanding of all this is much greater than mine, but my interpretation of all of this information, and again, you're getting 10 different opinions from 10 different people, is that as humans, the majority of our genetic information is actually in our gut. There's 10 times more DNA in our gut than in our actual cells. A hundred times, actually. A hundred times more. Okay, great. Yeah. 
Um, so the way I'm interpreting this is that things that affect the microbiome are yes. basically our, our stomach, our digestive system, things like vaccines, things like glyphosate, that's what's causing the autoimmune diseases. Yes. So we're kind of looking at things the wrong way. Instead of thinking of things of what's attacking us, yes. what's attacking what's living inside of us. Yes. Is that Beautifully is that said. Beautiful. Very perfect. I agree completely. Absolutely. So now what I'm curious about is that glyphosate, we can't get rid of it. It's water soluble. So even if you eat organic, it's getting rained on the crops. You go outside, it's in the air, it's in the water you drink, but you literally can't get rid of this stuff. Is there anything we can do to detoxify our bodies of this because we're going to get poisoned no matter what we do? Now, that's an excellent question. And certainly going organic is important. I, I absolutely think you can help to de- reduce your exposure by buying only organic foods and of course you'll also encourage the farmers to grow organic if you buy it you know we can vote with our pocketbooks to help encourage the farmers to switch over to growing organic food and we need to learn the farmers need to learn how to do that sustainably and economically and they can i mean we're smart humans are smart we could figure it out if we chose to it's just because we find it so convenient to just pour poison all over the crop that we don't find another alternative. If we recognize how costly it is in terms of our medical disasters as a consequence of that practice, we would change our ways, you know? And so we need to wake up and realize, but we can start as consumers by buying organic. I definitely think that is a, a very important first step. It will reduce your burden. Uh, but of course, you're, you're right. You won't be 100% free of it just because you buy only organic food. You'll get it in your water. You'll get it in the air. For example, it's probably in the gasoline because we now have, at least in the United States, and I believe in Canada too, 10% of the gasoline is ethanol. And ethanol is either derived from GMO Roundup Ready corn or from sugarcane sprayed with Roundup right before harvest. So you can expect that it's probably in the gasoline, which means when the cars are burning, glyphosate does not break down at high temperatures. It's probably being uh, released into the air so if you've got a highway, you know, and autism is a link to highways. Kids who live close to major highways have an increased risk to autism. And it could be simply because they're breathing glyphosate in the air. So what percentage of farms in the United States do you think are organic? <laughs> I think it's a very small percentage. We have actually very good demand for organic that's going up exponentially. In fact, it's going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops, which is quite interesting the rise in the demand for organic. Uh, The U.S. has to import a lot of its organic food because we don't have enough farmers that are growing it. So I think if if you are a farmer, it is a great move to figure out how to switch to organic farming and start doing that. I think in the long run, you will really have a big win. We're also seeing that glyphosate is destroying the soil. So people start off when they start using glyphosate and they buy these GMO crops, the first year, things look great. They get really high yields, they're very happy. And then what happens is the weeds start getting smart and weeds start getting resistant. So you have to use more glyphosate and that costs you more money. But also the glyphosate over time destroys the soil. For example, it, it can kill the earthworms. So you end up with fewer earthworms in the soil and they're important for maintaining the health of the soil. And it also kills microbes in the soil just as it does in the gut. It, it, it preferentially kills beneficial microbes in both the soil and the, and the gut. And, uh, and then this allows pathogens to grow. And then this causes diseases that are caused by these pathogens. And we see that in both the crop, crops and the humans as a consequence of glyphosate disrupting the microbes in the soil or in the gut, which is essentially the soil is like the plant's gut, if you will. So, so with glyphosate, besides destroying our gut, besides possibly like autism and other types of um, things like that, 
what other side effects do we experience that we didn't experience before this glyphosate started hitting all our foods and air and everything? What are some of the other big ones that we don't really think about that are happening? Oh, there's a huge list of diseases that are going up dramatically. And I mentioned uh, a few already. I mentioned the various cancers, liver failure, kidney failure. Kidney failure is another epidemic. And in fact, there are farmers in Central America and also in Sri Lanka uh, who are uh, dying at a young age of kidney failure. Um, in, they're dying like in their 40s of kidney failure due, I believe, to exposure to glyphosate that they're using on those crops. And I've actually written a couple of papers on that topic. Uh, and others have also written papers saying that they believe glyphosate is a major factor in this disease. But we also have an epidemic in kidney failure here in the United States. Of course, diabetes is another one. Obesity, all of these are going up dramatically in our population. The United States spends less money per capita on food than any other country in the world. And we spend by far the most money per capita on healthcare. We are completely, our healthcare is completely out of control. And I think that's because we're sick. We're, we're much sicker than other populations because of uh, the exposure that we're seeing getting to this glyphosate uh, in our environment. One, one um, thing you on Dr. is um, food-related diseases. We're talking, you know, irritable bowel. We're talking right. food sensitivities. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm doing my master's in nutrition, so sometimes I'll, you know, talk with uh, teachers and things like that at elementary schools. When I was in elementary school, there's maybe one kid that had a peanut allergy. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. That's now, right. You go in elementary school. Most elementary schools, you can't even bring peanuts into the school because there's that many kids with peanut allergies. I was just asking, you know, like one kid, what are you allergic to? They're allergic to peanuts. They're allergic to soy. They're allergic to milk. They're allergic to shellfish. I'm like, I'm feeling bad. There's a six-year-old kid. I'm like, he can't eat, you know, like seven different yes. I know. It's terrible, isn't it? There's a huge epidemic in food allergies. I'm glad you brought that up. And I actually believe that the explanation is very simple there. And this is where it has to do with some science that I've been working on. I'm absolutely increasingly convinced that I'm right about this. It's a controversial topic. I believe that glyphosate is actually getting into proteins. It's getting incorporated into proteins. And this is something Zach Bush probably talked to you about. Incorporated into proteins by mistake in place of an amino acid called glycine. So normally the proteins are assembled as beads on a string of these 20 building blocks called amino acids. And glyphosate is an amino acid. It's not a normal coding amino acid, but it looks exactly like glycine, except that it has some extra stuff stuck on its nitrogen atoms. So this is a little bit of chemistry, but it means that it could be substituting for glycine when the pro by mistake, as the protein is being assembled, the machinery grabs glyphosate by mistake and sticks it in there. And once it does that, it messes up the way that protein works. And you can actually find out from the research literature, all these proteins that have specific glycine residues that they totally depend upon in order to work properly. And what I'm seeing is that the digestive enzymes, for example, are getting, the pancreas gets hit hard by glyphosate. And we have an epidemic in pancreatitis and pancreatic cancer, you know, lots of issues with the pancreas, of course, diabetes with the um, insulin production being screwed up. You know, type one diabetes is going up. That's supposed to be a genetic disease. Doesn't make sense that it's going up, but it's because of this issue of um, proteins getting glyphosate stuck inside them so that they don't work. And when the digestive enzymes don't work, then you can't digest proteins. So when you have dietary proteins like the protein in peanut or casein, uh, gluten, you know, all these intolerances that we have to these proteins, is I think due to the fact that our digestive enzymes are messed up by glyphosate and we can't digest the proteins. And also glyphosate creates the leaky gut that I suspect Zach Bush also talked about. And the leaky gut barrier 
combined with the undigested proteins means that those proteins get out into the general circulation and that causes the immune system to get very upset. The immune system starts developing antibodies to those proteins, which is what gives you then all these food intolerances because those antibodies can attack your own tissues through a process that's called molecular mimicry, where you have a particular sequence of amino acids that resembles the sequence in the protein that your immune system doesn't like. And therefore your immune system, again, by mistake, starts attacking your own tissues, thinking that it's foreign. It gets confused about what's foreign and what's not. And you get all these autoimmune diseases. And I think actually autism is an autoimmune disease. And part of the issue there is a attack on the what's called myelin basic protein in the myelin sheath of the neurons in the brain. And this is something, there have been several papers written by a group out of Utah. Uh, Professor Singh is the lead author. And they go back to the 1990s. And his papers are amazing because they tie glyphosate to MMR vaccine. And Anthony Samsel and uh, Zen Hunnicutt both independently found glyphosate contamination in the MMR vaccine. In fact, in several vaccines, they were all live virus vaccines. And the theory is that the glyphosate was getting into the vaccine because the live virus was grown on glyphosate-contaminated materials from cows, for example, uh, bovine serum from the um, fetus of a cow, and also collagen, gelatin derived from collagen from the bones and ligaments of cows that were fed heavy doses of glyphosate in their feed. So the glyphosate is getting incorporated into the proteins in the MMR, in the measles virus proteins, which is causing the immune system to react to those. And then through molecular mimicry, that becomes an attack on the myelin sheath in the brain. So it has to be a lot of things happening. The leaky barriers, leaky gut barrier, leaky brain barrier, live virus in the vaccine, weakened immune system because of glyphosate so that the virus in the vaccine actually infects the brain. And then the brain's immune system responds with antibodies that then end up attacking the myelin sheath. I think that's a very, very interesting story that I believe may be a major factor in how MMR could be linked to autism. So, so just for our listeners, when you're allergic to a food, you're allergic to the protein in that food, which is yes. very So if you have a peanut allergy, you're not actually allergic to peanuts, you're allergic to the protein in the peanut. That's right, usually. One, one question I have for you, Dr. Sanath, is that because the glyphosate molecule is so closely linked to glycine, and yes. glycine is a major amino acid in collagen, which yes. is abundant protein in the human body. And yes. that's part of the reason why I think, you know, all these rates of arthritis and things like that are going up because our Absolutely. body recognizing glyphosate as glycine and then storing it in our own collagen. If yes. we supplemented with glycine, could that yes. possibly detoxify ourselves of glyphosate? Because our body would basically go, hey, we have extra glycine. We can get rid of this weird molecule that's kind of like glycine, but not the same thing. Excellent. Very, very good point. Um, I can see you are well informed. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, you're right. I, this is what I think. In fact, glycine is, uh, first of all, collagen is the most common protein in the body. Something like 25% of our proteins are actually collagen molecules. 30, 30. It's all over the joints, the bones, the skin, you know, the brain. It's everywhere. It's like the glue that holds your body together. And collagen has long sequences of a, of a pattern. That's every third amino acid is glycine. They call it GXY, 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 G, where X and Y are wildcard. They could be anything. But the, every third one is a glycine. It makes a beautiful triple helix structure that collagen is very, very important in collagen to maintain its properties. It has you know, elasticity and has tensile strength. It, has, it holds water. All these properties that collagen has depend upon those glycines in that regular pattern. And when those start getting substituted by glyphosate, you get, you get diseases 
of the um, connective tissue, you know, and diseases of the joint and the bones, you get all this pain, you get opioid drug epidemic. I think all of that is connected to glyphosate contaminating the collagen throughout our, our body. Very, very, very interesting. I'm actually doing my thesis on the fact that I think cardiovascular diseases are linked to poor collagen in the body. So by supplementing with the amino acids your body needs to make collagen and the enzyme your body uses to synthesize collagen is actually just vitamin C, which a lot of people don't realize. Yes, excellent idea. That we can improve cardiovascular health, things like cholesterol, blood pressure, and things like that, just yes. by replenishing our sick and damaged collagen. Dr. Linus Pauling was the original yes. person to hypothesize that. And it makes a lot of sense because in mammals who make their own vitamin C, none of them ever have any cardiovascular diseases. That's a very, very interesting point. And you're absolutely right. Vitamin C is really, really important for health. And I suspect, and I haven't been able to prove this because the research has not been properly done, but I suspect glyphosate is messing up our gut microbes' ability to make vitamin C for us, just like it's messing up some of the other... Um, because the gut microbes make all these different vitamins for us that our, our own cells can't make. They're so much smarter than we are as far as their skills in terms of being able to make all these interesting molecules. And we depend upon them to do that. And so when you start killing off the gut microbes that are producing these essential nutrients. So I think that our vitamin C deficiency problem is not just because of inadequate vitamin C in our diet, but also because of uh, disruption of our gut microbes. I suspect, and this is not something I've been able to prove, it's just a suspicion, but you're absolutely right about vitamin C, and vitamin C is essential for making collagen, as you probably know, which is why you're saying that. And you're also right about glycine. If you can overload the glycine, uh, you can um, help to have glycine outcompete glyphosate in terms of being picked up. It makes sense that if you've got lots and lots of glycine molecules, you're, not, you're much less likely to pick up a glyphosate one by mistake. So it helps to make sure you have plenty of glycine. And, uh, and so bone broth, for example, which is going to be from the collagen in the bones, is going to have high levels of glycine in it. But and that, so organic grass-fed bone broth is very healthy. But that was my next question. Steve, I'll let you go after this. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it have, doesn't it have the bad stuff too? Well, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> so, I mean, are you kind of evening grass that was sprayed with Roundup? Like, so wouldn't... Wouldn't the cow be eating grass that was sprayed with Roundup? So wouldn't that not work? Wouldn't you have to get like grass-fed grass bones from a cow that was eating grass on Roundup-free grass? Like put uh, that on a label, like geez. Just go oh, around, yeah, have, have a, a pet cow and let it grow. And then one day, you know. <laughs> you have your own cow and make sure you keep it away from glyphosate. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge point. And I, I really uh, fuss over that because I think uh, – you know, bone broth is really healthy, but it has to be from cows that have been somehow protected from glyphosate, which certainly is not possible in many cases because glyphosate's everywhere. And so, um, and of course, collagen, anything that contains a lot of glycine is going to also potentially be uh, contaminated with glyphosate. And in fact, you can get meat allergy by eating meat because of the same thing that we have with the issues of the food allergies, that the collagen in the meat can become allergenic, especially if it has glyphosate in it. So we're really in a very treacherous situation as far as, even if you take glycine as a supplement, I mean, it would be interesting to take a glycine supplement and test it to see if there's glyphosate contamination in it, because it depends on how they're processing it, as far as whether they've been able to produce pure glycine or whether they've got glyphosate in there as well, you know? So I worry about supplements and I worry about um, um, drugs also being contaminated with glyphosate. You know, I'm suspecting, I even wrote a paper about glyphosate contamination in drugs as a theoretical paper, 
which uh, made it a lot of sense, uh, drugs that are based on biologicals that are derived from proteins in particular that were showing bizarre side effects that nobody could explain. And those side effects turn out to be the same as what you get. If, so an injectable drug with protein in it, and if you inject glyphosate into uh, animals, they showed symptoms that were very similar to the symptoms that were showing up with that drug. So you sort of put all those pieces of the puzzle together. And also because that protein was sourced from something that would very likely have glyphosate exposure, you can deduce that it's likely you're injecting glyphosate when you inject a drug that's uh, protein-based and causing, a, in some cases, a severe reaction that can lead to death. Would that mean like steroids, like anabolic steroids, testosterone, stuff like that? I do think so. I suspect testosterone may be at issue with respect to glyphosate contamination. Um, I've been wondering about Cipro. You know, Cipro has a, Cipro is a uh, fluoroquinolone and the whole class of these antibiotics called fluoroquinolones have been showing up with absolutely bizarre, huge list of side effects, including tendinitis, uh, particularly tendinitis as a sort of key feature which is, of course, a joint problem, has to do with collagen. I am highly suspecting that Cipro is contaminated with glyphosate. Um, and when I look at the processing, you could convince yourself that it would be because there's a, ethanol is a, is a major component of the processing of, of uh, Cipro. And ethanol, as, you, as I said before, is derived from uh, corn, corn sprayed with glyphosate right before harvest or from sugarcane. I mean, corn, contem- uh, GMO Roundup Ready corn or sugarcane sprayed with glyphosate right before harvest. So, so, so Dr. Seneff, going back on detoxifying our bodies of glyphosate, I yes. think with bone broth, if you can get cows that were eating grass that was not sprayed with Roundup, would be fantastic. But let's yes. most of the grass is going to be sprayed with Roundup. And you can make bone broth from beef bones, chicken yes. bones, or also fish bones. So uh, yes, that's question, a good point. That, that was, this is my question, is that yes. beef we know is probably bad because the grass most likely was sprayed with Roundup. Chickens, they're fed GMO corn, and that's, that's probably the worst one. Yeah, Fit. except you could get organic chickens. That might help. But, okay, yeah, okay, organic chickens, that might work. But what about fish? Now, I know fish glyphosate. Fish is a good idea. Fish, but, but glyphosate gets in the rainwater and then in aqueducts. So it, it can be in the fish as well, but you sort of feel like an ocean-caught fish is probably a further away from the sources of glyphosate, right? So sort of deep-sea fish, um, ocean-caught fish. Then you get the mercury. Yeah, I know. I know. So, You're right. Let's do this. Why don't we just move to a different planet? Right. There's, there's actually, I know. There's this is what I'm feeling, too. There's, the like, no good choices. And, and you're always weighing um, the benefits against the risks, you know, with everything that you might take. Um, I will say, and I think maybe, um, oh, I know that uh, Zach Bush has his product called Restore, Restore for Life, which is quite interesting. Um, and that contains, I think, some things that uh, could be beneficial. One of the things that um, I've heard about is the um, ful- fulvic, fulvic acid and humic acid, which are organic matter from the soil. These are known to bind to things, and there's a theory that they bind to glyphosate and take it out through the feces. I don't know that that's been confirmed, but I think a lot of people are uh, recommending to take fulvic acid and humic acid, also uh, bentonite clay. These are all binding elements that can potentially hold on to the glyphosate and carry it out so that it doesn't get integrated into your system. Another thing very interesting to me is ozone therapy and also hypochlorite, sort of chlorine dioxide. I don't know if you've heard of chlorine dioxide. Very controversial topic. Um, and that's cl- basically Clorox. You know how they use Clorox in water to detoxify? I mean, to sort of keep it. Yeah. Uh, it's like an antibacterial agent. 
But it turns out I've seen papers that talk about uh, ozone and, and uh, chlorine dioxide, a hypochloride in particular, which comes from chlorine dioxide, as being super oxidizing agents that can break down glyphosate non-enzymatically. So that is quite interesting to me, whether tiny amounts of, um, of, of sort of chlorine dioxide uh, in your water supply might uh, help to break down glyphosate before it goes anywhere. Uh, and the other thing is uh, microbes that can break down glyphosate. This is probably the best one, in my opinion, which is, and I do this pretty much every day. I try to eat vinegar, apple cider vinegar, for example, Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar, also sauerkraut, um, kim kim kombucha and kimchi, all these sort of fermented foods uh, contain acetobacter. And acetobacter are among the very few microbes that can uh, break down glyphosate enzymatically. And so most microbes can't because glyphosate has a difficult, what's called a CP bond. And most microbes don't understand how to break that bond, but acetobacter does. And so if you eat vinegar on a regular basis um, and potentially have vinegar before you eat your meal, so you can easily, what we often do is make a salad. We make our own salad dressing. We put Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar in it and you're getting that vinegar right before your meal and then you're eating organic as well. So you're hoping that the glyphosate that comes in gets metabolized by the acetobacter. You spoke briefly about humic and fulvic acids. I did a literature review on them. They're basically relating uh -huh. agents. So they bind to heavy metals in the body and then detoxify them. There's pretty much zero information done on humans, but they actually use them in water waste treatment. Uh -huh. So thing is I was, I was doing this literature review and I'm looking on PubMed and there's all this like water waste treatment studies coming up. I'm like, am I searching the right thing? But it would yes. make sense. And that's actually how we clean our water supplies with humic and fulvic acid. So that's interesting. That Dr. Zach Bush's product, and there's another one by Inotech Nutrition called Detox 101. Detox 101, huh? I, okay. I really, well, the Detox 101 is humic and fulvic acids and then also uh -huh. the N-magnesium because yeah. those can help with your body's detoxification pathways. But I really think Dr. Zach Bush is onto something with these humic and fulvic acids. Yes. And also, there's no, it's not a probiotic supplement, but because it's derived from the soil, it would have soil-based probiotics. I see. So they're just naturally in there because of it being a soil product. It's sort of like eating soil. You know, I hear about uh, children liking to eat dirt. I've seen some stuff on the web where mothers were saying, my kid just loves to eat dirt. I don't know how to stop him. You wonder if that child somehow instinctively knows that the dirt is actually beneficial, you know, <laughs> kind of interesting. Well, my cat, like dogs eat grass. Yes, I know. They eat grass when they get sick, don't they? Well, I think, I think it has more to do with, you know, the dog food that we give them it doesn't have enough like fiber and vegetables in it. So oh, that's know, interesting. So they know to kind of go eat fruit, uh, like uh, grass and stuff outside and weeds and stuff. So, I, and like my cat, she won't eat the same food every day. Like I have to feed her something different every day. It's like she instinctively knows not to eat the same food every day. So I think it's, if you just watch our, our pets, the way they behave, they, yeah. they should tell us a, a lot. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing that I like to talk about is sulfate. And I don't know if you've seen any of my material on sulfate, but I believe sulfate deficiency is a key driver behind most modern diseases. And glyphosate is an absolute train wreck for sulfate in so many different dimensions that I won't go into now because it's a lot of detailed chemistry there. But you mentioned magnesium, and I don't know if you were specifically thinking of magnesium sulfate or just magnesium other things, because there's magnesium citrate, there's other forms of magnesium, but I think magnesium sulfate in particular, uh, and done as an Epsom salt bath is a very healthy thing to do. It's something that I recommend soaking in uh, Epsom salt baths with hot, hot, very hot water 
allows your skin to, to soak up magnesium and sulfate, both of which are uh, deficient in the context of glyphosate, chronic glyphosate poisoning. So that's another thing I recommend is to soak in Epsom salt baths. I also recommend getting out in the sunlight. And that's hard in Canada, I realize, especially in the winter. <laughs> but sunlight exposure without sunscreen, without sunglasses. Uh, the sun is actually very, very healing. And, it, and the sun allows, it, it actually um, activates various enzymes that are able to, um, to do important things to, uh, de to detox your body. But, uh, but again, the glyphosate messes up those enzymes so it can start making sunlight toxic. So it's very unfortunate that if you have a lot of glyphosate contamination in your body, sunlight can become dangerous. But otherwise, sunlight is extremely important for maintaining your health. And I really support uh, getting as much sunlight exposure as you can. Do you think people who live like, uh, like up in the northern uh, latitudes and stuff who don't get a lot of sunlight and they, like, the suicide rates are higher, do you think that has something to do with it? I do. I absolutely do. I think sunlight is, I think has sunlight deficiency is also connected to autism. Uh, in fact, there's higher rates of autism uh, in northern climates compared to um, sunnier places, places that are more warmer and sunnier. One question I was going to ask for you, Dr. Stephanie, is that for someone like myself in Canada, where sunlight is very, very limited, what are your thoughts on tanning? When you tan I know. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. And I have to hesitate because, of course, there is always the issue of skin cancer. Um, I personally believe that if you could do an all, all you know, full, full spectrum, full spectrum um, tanning, in the winter would be uh, useful to do, you know, carefully, don't overdo it. But I think it would actually be uh, beneficial. If I lived in Canada, I would probably do that. Of course, I come to Hawaii in the winter, so I don't have a problem myself, but not everybody can afford to do that. Well, you can, you can take me on your next trip. My, my, best, <laughs> my best friend is a naturopathic doctor and she did a test on herself. So this is a N equals one study, but she wanted to see if tanning beds will raise vitamin D status. So she basically took her vitamin D levels didn't take any vitamin D supplements, tried not to eat foods that contain vitamin D, things like fatty fish, went tanning every single day and then test herself again in a month. And uh -huh. her vitamin D levels went up 10 times. Oh, that's awesome news. That is really great. So she's in Canada, right? She's in Canada. She's my best friend. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, that is great. Actually, I don't mind N equals one. I, anecdotal evidence can be very, very powerful. And I think it's a really excellent uh, result that she got. And a neat experiment, really, to actually control for dietary vitamin D and just to really test. Yeah, as you know, vitamin D is super important for all kinds of things. And also, we have an epidemic in vitamin D deficiency in the United States, for sure. And I'm, I'm imagining Canada as well, that, that I think is connected to glyphosate, because glyphosate is messing up um, the cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver, which activate vitamin D. So we're, we're getting um, blockage on the activation of vitamin D. I think that's a reason why it's low. Those same cytochrome enzymes are involved in detoxification. So you think that's part of the reason why we're all so toxic? I absolutely do. In fact, I think glyphosate disrupts multiple toxic. I've been studying, of course, and if I'm right about the glycine substitution, uh, it's going to mess up the cyp enzymes, by the way, that makes sense in terms of glycine substitution because they have critical glycine residues that they depend on, those cytochrome P450 enzymes. And as you know, they are involved in detoxifying a lot of other toxic chemicals in our environment. So when they don't work, everything else becomes more toxic than it would otherwise be. And I think that's what we're seeing. And, um, and then there's also other um, glutathione elation. There's glutathione that gets attached or sulfate gets attached or methyl groups, all these different mechanisms that the liver uses uh, to help to detoxify these things. Every one of those mechanisms is disrupted by glyphosate, in my opinion, according to my research. 
And so I think we, the liver really becomes cobbled in its ability to detox, which is part of the reason why the liver gets clobbered by glyphosate. And studies have shown that glyphosate at levels that are considered safe by the U.S. government, um, chronic exposure to glyphosate at those levels causes liver damage in animal studies. It's very clear. The liver gets hit hard. The pancreas and the liver both get hit hard by glyphosate. Steve, do you have any questions before I get into listener questions? I think the problem with all this is that a lot of this, you can't see it. I, I know. Think, I think, like, because we deal with this a lot, like, in the bodybuilding community with people. They're like, you know, you go get your blood pressure checked with a machine. It shows up. Yeah, you have high blood pressure. You go get a cholesterol check. It shows up high cholesterol. But this is something that is invisible. It's kind of mm-hmm. like gut health. It's like, you know, your, your gut flora. You can't see it. So people you know, doctors and, and they just assume, yeah, you know, screw it. You know, um, it doesn't exist because I can't prove it. I can't see it. So how, like, you know, the research that you're doing, this is the thing about like academia. Mm-hmm. And this is the difference between the private sector and academia is like, you guys do all this, um, but there's no profit in it, but yeah. in the private sector there's profit. So it's like, what do you have to say to these people? living like in middle America who just say, you know what? These damn liberals from MIT, Massachusetts, <laughs> telling us what we can and can't eat. You know, like, I'm going to eat a steak. I'm going to eat, you know, this this stuff that I planted in the back and smothered in pesticides. What do you have to say to those people who just... Well, I say, try to try to eat it. If, you don't, if you don't believe me, I'm fine. Go ahead and eat it. I mean, I don't know that I'm right, but I, if I were you, I wouldn't. And if you want to, well, then just go ahead and just, you know, maybe you'll get sick. Maybe you won't. I mean, I'm not going to well, tell you. Like, how do you reason with them? I'm saying like your father-in-law at the dinner table. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that is definitely an issue. If your family doesn't I, I listen do, to you, it's you very, very help, frustrating. You want to help them, but, you know, yes. how can you kind of like, do you say, hey, look at the look at the rates of cancer? This is what I tell people. Yes. Like I say, look, look at the rates of cancer, how much they've gone up. Look at the rates of autism, how much they've gone up. Look at the rates of, you know, diabetes. It's going up for a reason. Maybe it's, you know, obviously it has something to do with what we put in our body. But what are some, like, more deeper things that we can kind of, like, tell these people? Because I argue with people all the time about organic because people say, oh, organic or non-organic. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And, you know, I used to have a girlfriend. She was a nurse. And she would say, oh, drinking tap water, it's okay, it's water. It's the same thing as, as filtering yeah. your water with, you know, or getting Fiji water or something. She's like, it doesn't matter. So how do you reason with these people who are otherwise <laughs> smart people, they just can't, they can't put two and two together? It's very frustrating. I mean, I just think some people just don't want to hear this message. They just want to believe that everything's okay, and they just actually block you. It's very frustrating that they won't even, I mean, they'll even interrupt you and shut you up, basically. I've had experiences like that where it's like, okay, fine. I just give up on them very quickly. I just like, I don't have time for you. I mean, that's, I very much just feel like if you want to go ahead and poison yourself, that's fine with me, as long as you don't keep me out of it, you know? Um, but of course, if it's a relative, that's a different matter. And I work much harder on my relatives and they get tired of me telling them, but they're being very, my children, I have four sons and I have 10 grandchildren and, uh, their families are doing really well, I think compared to the average American. I mean, they're not completely hundred percent organic, obviously, but they do a lot of, they buy a lot of organic foods and they're very careful about their diet, eating well, eating whole foods. I mean, that's another thing that's important. Don't eat processed foods because the processing takes out all kinds of the, all kinds of nutrients. And many things that we don't even realize are important are in natural foods. Like when you eat, you know, a a vegetable that you just stir fry a vegetable, you're getting that whole food, which has all kinds of interesting things in it. We always think of carbs and 
proteins and fats as if that's all that foods consist of. But there's many, many other really interesting molecules that are present, all these polyphenols and flavonoids that are in uh, fruits and vegetables uh, that get destroyed in the processing. When you eat a soy protein bar, you're eating something that's really just a chemical mix. You know, it's not a food really. And um, so I really encourage people to eat um, whole foods uh, as well as of course eating organic. So organic whole foods um, is, is I think a huge win. Now there's a movie that's just come out um, produced by Jeffrey Smith and Mary Hart. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Secret Ingredients. I never heard of it. What's yeah, well, that's worth watching. Very, very, I, I saw it in a preview before it came out, but it's an excellent movie. Um, and of course it's a documentary which can be very dreary, but at this one they did a really good job of, of having a storyline and they basically traced one family over the someone so the Mary Hart actually moved in with this family so they were able to get a you know a story over time and in the beginning of the movie every every there's four people in the family two parents and two kids and everybody's got health issues of various sorts and the mother's in a wheelchair so they're you know pretty serious health issues and um, they managed to reverse everything over the course of the movie uh, just by eating organic the only thing they did to change their diet was to switch to organic and so it's very dramatic. And glyphosate was showcased as, the, um, as a troublemaker in their life. And so I think as more and more people actually, people who are sick, if they switch to organic, I think they will find uh, quite rapid improvement in their health after they start eating organic. I think they will notice it. I mean, unless they're getting major glyphosate contamination from their water or from the air because of where they live, you know? That, that, that was my next question, Dr. Stephanie, is that... I try my best to answer every question on the show notes, but there's so many, it's overwhelming. The number one question we get asked is, I'm a mom, I got three kids, I'm on limited budget, I can't buy everything organic. What should I buy organic if my budget is limited? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And that's where I think the first thing you might want to buy is the book by Tony Mitra, which I don't think costs a whole lot of money, Poison Foods of North America. That gives you a, uh, it's a very dry book, but it has a lot of data in there of the levels of glyphosate that were found in the various foods. So I've been very interested in finding out exactly which foods are most likely to have high levels of glyphosate. And, um, and so what, and they haven't tested everything. So there's still some things I don't know, you know, but certainly uh, wheat, you know, anything wheat based, you need to buy organic. Cereals, oats, for example, oats are testing high in glyphosate. So oatmeal and, and um, so Quaker oats and, and, Cheerios, you know, Cheerios, non-GMO Cheerios, good for the heart, loaded with glyphosate. So don't buy Cheerios. You know, there's some simple rules. Switch over to organic uh, cereals and uh, organic, any kind of wheat-based product. Organic, if you're going to do hummus or, you know, chickpeas, garbanzo beans, lentils. So, for example, chili, organic. You want to use organic beans. And um, so, uh, for example, noodles, you know, you could buy noodles from Italy, which are probably much, much lower glyphosate than ones that are coming out of Canada. So buy imports. Mexico is also a good bet. If you can find fruits and vegetables from Mexico, they're probably better than the ones from the United States and Canada. Mexico tested with levels of glyphosate that were comparable to the levels in Europe, which were much, much lower than the levels in the U.S. and Canada. It's it's so depressing that I'm going to go to a Canadian grocery store and look for Mexican produce. I know. That's amazing, isn't it? You really need to get on your government to fix it. I mean, I, my government, I'm just like sick and tired of them. I'm so fed up. I'm really just fed up to hear with my government. I've tried. I went to Washington, a whole bunch of us, 10 of us, delegation of 10 people. You know, we did it on our own neck, nickel, went to Washington, presented our case, showed them how toxic life is, met with EPA. Nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. They didn't even, you know, 
follow up with anything. It just nothing happens if it didn't happen. It's so frustrating. The, the Canadian government is too busy making pot legal to, to worry about anything else. <laughs> no, Trevor, your, your government, trust me, um, you don't follow politics, but your government is a lot uh, less head in the sand than ours is. You, you, don't, <laughs> you don't understand the way it is in the United States, man. It's really bad. And we're, we're, I think the United States is basically the worst company, country in the world in terms of toxic chemicals. We're like so fearless. We're like, we want everything new. We're developing new technologies. I mean, I'll tell you, really scary article that's just come out. And they are, there's a bunch of authors and they're all from uh, Dow DuPont, which is the biggest, is the merger of Dow and DuPont, the biggest chemical company in the world, right? These authors. And their paper is absolutely terrifying. And their paper Talk, a very clever, very clever science. And they use something called CRISPR. Have you heard of CRISPR technology? Haven't. CRISPR. So it's a, it's a new technology that, uh, the, that the research community and the, and the chemical companies are very excited about because it allows you to uh, manipulate the, the DNA of a, of a plant, for example, or a human, for that matter, which would be really interesting. But in this article, they actually were able to change the code for the protein this protein EPSP synthase, which is the one that glyphosate really hits hard on that causes plants to die. That's what, you know, that's the, that's the enzyme they think glyphosate is most uh, effective on to cause trouble with the plants to make the weeds die. And they were able to take uh, plants and change that, that enzyme so that it was resistant to glyphosate. This is instead of putting a, a GMO um, bacterial gene, inserting that into the genome, which is what they do with the GMO crops, this one is take the plant's own version of that gene and tweak it, tweak it so as to protect it from glyphosate. And, um, and so if they can do this for various plants, they can produce non-GMO patentable seeds that are resistant to glyphosate. This is really important because CRISPR was recently decided by the regulators to be a non-GMO technology, which means you don't have to go through that GMO you know, regulatory process. It's much, much easier to get approval. So I think I'm predicting that what's going to happen is once they get figure this out, they're going to be able to produce Roundup Ready versions of just about every crop there is uh, by tweaking their, their own gene and then get past the regulatory process. And now we'll have even more Roundup all over our food in the future. And then that whole non-GMO product wouldn't even apply to them. Yeah, it wouldn't be GMO. And so even if you label GMO, it wouldn't be labeled as GMO. But it's not safe either. I mean, the technology is very strange, and there's all kinds of possibilities for strange things to happen, which they haven't adequately researched. But they're just like, oh, what could go wrong? I mean, these guys are incredibly bold, you know, and they're playing with our lives. And they just go ahead and, oh, what could go wrong? I mean, they're like so confident that their technology is fail-safe when it obviously isn't when you look at what it does. You know, and there are other people who are protesting and saying, hey, this stuff, CRISPR can cause cancer. There's papers that are coming out that show even the technology itself produces um, a, t a tendency towards cancer. And yet, um, and that's on, on top of, that's, you know, independent of the fact that it's going to protect it from glyphosate. So you're going to get the glyphosate poisoning as well. It's just terrifying. I mean, this is, this is uh, I mean, it's disgusting. It's immoral. It's disgusting, these people. But it's like they have the power. They got the power. It's ridiculous. I don't understand. They got the power, and there's nothing we can do about it. That's I know. It's, it's a bit like uh, we're doomed. I mean, sometimes I feel that way. We're doomed. And I'm, I'm, 
actually glad I'm old because I don't have to put up with what the world's <laughs> going to be like in 50 years. You, know? you, have, you have grandkids, though. I know, I know. And that's where I worry. I worry tremendously about the future of my grandchildren's lives. So, just, so like, can you give us some, like, hope on this? Like, you guys are going, <laughs> you're telling me you went to Washington. You told these idiots, okay, in Washington. Yeah. Okay, these fucking idiots. I'll say it on the air. Right. That's what they are. Right. And obviously, you got 24 senators that represent 12 farm states in the United States. That's a lot. And Canada is the same way. Canada, you have a lot of farm um, provinces. So, of course, they're going to kiss the farmer's ass. So, yeah. to save 500 farmers' jobs, yeah. you're going to poison millions of other people. This is the way. You got it. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I don't understand how humans, as smart as we are, and I do think we have a pretty intelligent brain and we do some amazing things that we can't see beyond the immediate, immediate money gain. You know, we're going to gain money by having this thing that's going to cause us to grow, grow chops, crops more cheaply. And who cares about all those other consequences that are destroying not just humans, but the entire ecosystem is being destroyed by this. So, so like, though, but here's the thing, like, again, you're in academics and stuff. You guys obviously don't have very much power, okay? Right. So, so what, you know, what is going to you know, get us on the right track here? Like, are we going to have to just, just try to elect people who believe in science? Because that, that, that doesn't really work. I mean, I, I live know. in Florida and, you know, our governor doesn't believe in global warming. I know. <laughs> so it's like, you know, like, you know, like, know. so what, what is it going to take as we finish up the show? Trevor um, sent me a message that we're about to wrap up. So yeah, so yeah well, so. besides voting in people who believe in science, what else can we do here? Right. I mean, we can certainly vote, but I think that the biggest thing is for consumer re revolt. I think if the consumers refuse to buy the food, they won't make it. And I think we just need to educate. I, I just basically like to do things like this, this podcast to get out to the public to say, uh, you need to buy organic. And, and, you know, even though you think it's more money, it's not because in the end, you're going to have a much healthier family. You're going to save a huge amount of money on medical costs. It's going to get, you're going to get that money back. I mean, I think people need to believe that if I eat organic, I'm going to get the money back, especially if you do it strategically with those things that you know are high in glyphosate, you can definitely protect your family and, and improve their health. And you don't want to have a child with autism. You know, you just eat healthy and your child eats healthy, you can protect your child from autism. I mean, that, that is so important that it's worth the extra money for the organic. And I think if you're a farmer, think about growing organic. And, and, if you, um, and if you're young and capable, figure out ways to make organic more efficient, make it more uh, economical. Because I believe we could, uh, we could grow food organically without having it cost a huge amount more money than non-organic. Because it's a the glyphosate method is not working well. And every year they have to spend more money because they have to use more glyphosate. And they also, their soil gets wrecked. Their, their crops get sick with various other um, diseases. You know, they're, they're struggling with getting the yield up. I mean, I think that the, the industry is in trouble with this uh, chemical-based agriculture. And so uh, we just need young people who are willing to buy a plot of land and grow organic food on it and really bring us back to those small organic farms. I think that's what we need. We need to have a complete reversal across the, uh, the country to fall small organic farms uh, to change the way we grow food. And we can do that bottom-up grassroots without involving the government at all because the government is going to be bought until the day we die. I mean, the government has, the, the industry has so much power over the government that those people just refuse to even listen. And that's my opinion. I think we are not going to be able to do it through the government. We do it through consumer pressure. There's, there's a couple of problems here because I've, I've reached out to a lot of farmers and I've wanted to get farmers on this podcast, but they're scared to come on because they're scared Monsanto's going to shut them down. 
Um, it like it's they they actually have warrant in being scared because Monsanto is ruthless. Yes, I know. On this podcast and bad most Monsanto for an hour, Monsanto would find out about it and they would do something to that farmer. Like it's right. it's really scary. And then I talk. That's really sad to hear because the same thing's going on, of course, with the medical professionals as well. They can't speak up against vaccines, for example. It's the same problem. So, like, I talked to some farmers because I am pretty educated in agriculture. And I said, "Why aren't you rotating crops?" Like, that's what yes. we were doing. That's what we were doing, you know, thousands of years ago. And then that doesn't deplete yes. the soil because a certain crop will take more Absolutely. of a certain mineral. A different crop will take more of a certain mineral. They said the problem is now is that because it's so competitive, and especially now with Monsanto and everyone using glyphosate, that they need to plant the crops that have the highest consumer demand. Otherwise, they won't be able to make a living. So they're right. basically planting these cash crops every single yes. growing season because if they planted a crop that they know would be better for the soil, that crop is worth a tenth of the value and they right. would pay all their bills. So I mean, that's really unfortunate. And I think that this is where if the consumer refuses to buy those foods, they're not going to make those crops. If the consumer has to refuse to buy those foods, we need to get consumers aware that they have to do that. What we need to be doing is widening a variety of foods we're eating. If all yes. we're wheat, that's all farmers are going to grow. So if you go to the grocery store and you start buying, you know, amaranth and millet and these weird grains right. that are way better for the environment and don't require any, if very limited, herbicides and pesticides, the farmer's going to start growing those because the demand is going up right. and then, then you can start rotating crops. Excellent point. Excellent point. You've made uh, several good points on this podca- uh, podcast and I really, really appreciate that. Thank there you. was a very smart guy. You should send them to MIT. I know. I'm so glad, glad to meet him because he's, he's right on board and he, he knows what, what needs to be, what's important, you know. He's making all kinds of good points. And I really the problem is, but Sando is, is after him right now. They're going to knock out his door after the podcast. And you're gonna, uh, gonna be You'll never hear from him again, so that's the problem. <laughs> I sure hope that doesn't happen. I hope you can continue to be vocal and uh, I appreciate what you're doing and it's so important and I hope people are, who are listening are, are becoming aware and willing to try to make those changes. It, it, they really should think about how to optimize their health by changing the way they, what foods they buy. The, the biggest blessing I have of doing this podcast, Dr. Stephanie, is I've been doing this for about six years now and I've interviewed the smartest people in the health and fitness industry. And everyone has a different opinion. And the problem with academia is that once you get so focused on one specific thesis topic, you almost have blinders on. Right. This podcast has really given me a really broad view of, you know, agriculture, health, the environment, because these are all very important things. And I understand where the chemical engineers developing glyphosate are coming from, because they're trying to feed the planet. I really don't think the people who first came about glyphosate were evil people. I don't think they were worshiping mm-hmm. Satan and, and, you know, but I think their initial good deed or initial good thought process, they didn't realize the negative consequences and right. they're so invested in it. And because right. you know, it's, it's hard to admit, Hey, we screwed up. We yes. got to stop spraying this herbicide. And that's what Monsanto really needs to do is they really need to say, Hey guys, public statement. We totally screwed up here. Don't yes. ever spray glyphosate again. Yes. We're going to destroy all of the information on how to make this. But no one will ever do that because we have pride and there's economics, and there's businesses. Right. So it's, it's more complicated than that. I'm glad you said that. And I mean, I, certainly it's easy, it's easy to just say it's pure evil, but then you wonder why someone would be that evil. And I think you're absolutely right that in the, in the beginning, they thought this is terrific. This thing doesn't harm humans at all. And it kills these weeds and it's just really convenient. And 
what's not to like about that, you know, and they just, it took a long time for them to realize because glyphosate's a slow kill. I think that's part of the issue is that you don't immediately see that it's affecting you because it's happening slowly. It gets into all your tissues and messes up all your proteins throughout your body and it does it slowly. At some point, something cracks and then you get some horrible disease like ALS or Alzheimer's, you know? Well, it was, it the first time Bayer, it was like when Bayer developed heroin. They weren't yeah. trying to make a street drug, right? Like they were trying right. a great painkiller for people who were just came out of some horrible surgery or something like that. It's just right. their research didn't really go the way they planned. And then it became a street drug. And now we have a huge heroin problem. That wasn't right, of course, opioid drugs are repeating that history. Now we have these opioid drugs that were, we were assured that they were not addictive. And in fact, they are, you know, now we have a, an epidemic in prescription opioid drugs, which is really very equivalent to heroin. It's, it's, I'm not going to sleep after this podcast. <laughs> it's really tough to be uh, optimistic. It really no, no, is. Honestly, just, I'm glad I don't have kids. I know. <laughs> I really am. That's one of the things because like, at least I'll, when I'll be dead, I don't have to worry about it. I'll be in the ground, mm-hmm. but. I wouldn't want to have kids the way it's going. But I think the younger generation, like Trevor's generation, they're more into this stuff. Like they're getting smarter. Well, that's great. And they're the ones who are going to be stuck with the future that we're going to leave for them. My generation is going to leave a really big mess for for the younger generation. They're going to have to rise to the occasion and, and deal with it. And hopefully they'll have a different attitude and they'll have more wisdom, you know, in seeing instead of saying what could go wrong you know really think about yikes something could go wrong here and really be much more cautious about these things in the future i hope that they will learn that at least they're going to look back on the last hundred years and future generations are just not going to understand how we let this happen they're absolutely not going to understand dr stephanie for our listeners are you on instagram you on facebook is there any social media platform that you're posting yeah i'm on facebook um and i have a a web page at mit where i like to put a lot of my stuff so you can find a lot of my papers and my uh, slideshows and whatnot at my uh, mit website which is a little bit cumbersome but it's it's called people p-e-o-p-l-e dot c-sale dot m-i-t dot e-d-u slash senif my last name you can google senif and you'll find all kinds of stuff i've done a lot of podcasts and whatnot so Lots of stuff if you just Google my name. Uh-oh. And also, of course, some enemies telling you that I'm a quack. But <laughs> yeah, that's part of the game, right? I will have that in the show notes because that, uh, that was a mouthful. Yeah, it's a, little, a lot to absorb. But if you just type send, if you, that, that page will probably come up as your first hit, my, my MIT webpage. And then on there, there's lots of stuff. Um, it's very techie looking. It's not exactly, it's, it's, not, it's not beautiful, but it's a lot of material there you can find. Well, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, for your host, Trevor Kritz, and for my co-host, Steve Smee, we really appreciate you doing this podcast. This has been another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life. Look good doing it. Thanks for listening.